Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Welcome this morning. This is your first time here. We're so excited to see each and every one of you. We hope on your way in you received a warm greeting. Maybe you already picked up your shirt, but we're excited to have you here on what we like to call I Love My Church Sunday, and we are in a series entitled We Are the Church, and when we started this series, we preface it with this thought that what we're a part of is bigger than the part that we play. The church didn't start with our church. It's been around before that, and it'll continue to be around long after we are gone, but we are grateful and thankful that you are here this morning. We hope that the word will speak to you. We hope that you are helped and encouraged today, and we want you to know that if this this is your first time here. We hope that this is a place where you can belong because we're excited to have you. Well, if you have a copy of the Word of God, you can open it to Acts chapter number six. If you don't, it's not a problem. It'll be up on your screens. But if you would like a free Bible on your way out at our connection tent, we have free Bibles there. So please stop by, grab one if you need one. But we're going to be in Acts six this morning, Acts chapter number six, and we're looking to see what God can teach us. Last week, the big idea was. The part, what we're a part of is bigger than the part that we play. The church has been around a long time. It'll continue to stay around. But then this week, we're bringing up this idea. And the idea this week is simply that I have a part. The question is, when will I start? You see, this is the church. This is something we get to be a part of. It's not one person's idea. It's not one person's plan. It takes a group. It takes multiple people. So I have a part of this. The question is, when will I start being a part of it? Uh, We said that people can't leave the church because people are the church. So you can't leave something that you are. And so we're inviting you in to be a part of a much bigger story. It's a life of significance. It's a life of meaning. And so in Acts chapter number six, we read about the church. It had just started in Acts two, but already just a few chapters, they're already experiencing problems. I don't know about you, but I kind of find some catharsis in the fact that it only took four chapters for the first church to have problems because every church has problems. There's no perfect church. As a matter of fact, I like to say around here that there should be an imaginary sign that says no perfect people allowed in the building. None of us are perfect. None of us have it all together. And we like to say, uh, Christians, we do the same stuff a lot of other people do. We're just better at hiding it than most people. All right. That's really oh, the truth. All right. So we just understand that we have our dysfunction. We have our issues. We have our things that we're growing and working. And that's why we're Here in a community of compassion, a community of love, a community of connection where we can grow and seek Jesus better. And so in Acts chapter number six, they run into a problem. And I want you to see their problem because this may make you feel a little bit better about your life, your family, and your relationship. Notice if you would, verse number one, the Bible says in those days when the number of the disciples was increasing, now you would think, Hey, there's increase. That's got to be good. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would love to have my boss say, hey, you get a bonus this week. I would love it if things just started to grow. I would love if there's just increase all around you. You wouldn't say no to a bonus. You wouldn't say no to a promotion. But here's the thing. You're going to see that increase, what that brings. And let's continue. It says, for the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Just stop for a second. The Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews are two different groups. One had a lot of 
influence from the Greeks. And so they didn't live in Israel, but they had come back to Israel. And so there was a little bit of a prejudice in the fact that they had left and now they're coming back. So they're getting treated like a second class citizen. And so there's a complaint. And so they bring the complaint to the disciples in verse number two. Here's what it says. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be a full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased. But unlike verse 1, it says they increased rapidly. So you're going to notice a difference. There was a problem. They brought up a solution. And because the entire church worked together, you see that the church grew and it grew even faster. When people come together and it says, and the large number of the priests became obedient to the faith. Verse eight, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. I just want to start with a word of prayer and ask God to bless this message because I want him to speak to you. But this morning we're talking about using our life for something significant. And we talk about the fact that a significant life is a life of service, but I don't want this morning to feel like like a guilt trip that, oh, I'm not serving. So this is a twist my arm to go change diapers in the nursery. This is a twist my arm that I pass the love buckets once a month. This is a twist my arm. They got a building project they want me to do. No, no, I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that. But I do want God to speak to you. And if he lays on your heart and ministry to be a part of, I want him to speak. So right now, let's ask the Holy Spirit to just speak to us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the worship. Thank you for the music that we heard. I pray this morning that your truth would be heard. I pray that people would respond to what you want to say to them. I pray that this wouldn't be a message of manipulation or coercion, but I pray that they would hear the truth that's contained. I pray that we would see our church flourish because more people are serving and involved in making a difference in other people's lives. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. I love serving. I love the church. I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church. So I've been serving in church as long as I can remember. And for the time, there was a time when I didn't want to serve in the church. I didn't want to do it, but God called me back to it. And I love what we get to be a part of. And so today we're looking at this idea that I have a part. The question is, when will I start? When will I get involved? You see, we all win when everyone steps in. I know it's catchy. I know it's cliche. But this morning, I want us to see that the church succeeded when everyone got on board, when everybody was together, when everybody worked together. I remember when I took my wife on a birthday date, we went to Santa Barbara. We were going to a college just outside of LA, so we were going to go to Santa Barbara. And we rented one of those tandem pedal bikes where we're both supposed to pedal. Keyword, both supposed to pedal. I'm pedaling like a madman. I am breaking a sweat 
backpedaling, thinking, wow, woman, what in the world? How much did you... No, I didn't think that. I was just thinking, some of you are like, oh, he's on the couch tonight. Oh, he didn't even make the couch. He's getting the dog's house. That's where he's going. No, I'm pedaling like crazy. I'm like, why is this so hard? I need to go back to the gym. I need to work out. This is Santa Barbara. It's not like we're climbing hills or anything. This is supposed to be easy. But I'm pedaling, and she's like, everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, everything's great. You know, sweat pouring down, you know. And I'm just turning bright red. And I just can't figure out why is this so difficult to pedal. Because I'm just trying to have a nice birthday getaway for the woman I wanted to marry. And so we're just pedaling along. Keyword, we're supposed to. But then I noticed something. As my knees are going up and down pedaling, her knees aren't doing anything. As a matter of fact, I see her leg muscles flexing. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Why would her leg muscles be flexing right now? And then I realized something. She's pushing down on the brake. I've been pedaling this whole time as she's been holding the brake down. She's been working against me instead of with me. And that's when I pushed her off the cliff. She went, no, I'm just kidding. And uh, that's with a flash. You ever have those out-of-body moments where you're like, you want, yeah, no, no. And uh, so it's just one of those things where I was like, are you kidding me? And so the moment, though, she started pedaling, do you know how much easier it got? The moment she started to engage, the moment we started to work together, the moment that it would just seem like, man, this is going to work. We're going and it's exciting. And that's what happens in the church when people say, I'm no longer going to pump the brakes, but I'm going to help you pedal. I'm going to jump on this bike with you and I'm going to help this thing go because then we see increase, but then we don't just see increase. We see what they say in verse seven is rapid increase. Now we're not just talking about the church growing for church growth's sake. And I know sometimes we come to a church and thinking, oh, here it is. I brought a guest with me. I brought a visitor with me and you just want the church to grow. So you got a big auditorium so you can just go tell your pastor, buddy. And so you just feel, no, no, that's not it at all. Because we believe that we're here to help people find and follow Jesus. We live in the Silicon Valley. We live in the Bay Area where there's 7.8 million people. 3% of the population knows the name of Jesus. And so we believe we've got a mission from God to go and tell people about Jesus. And so we have a goal. And so it's not that we're trying to be the biggest church. We're just trying to reach a whole lot of people. And if they happen to come to our church or the church down the street, that's okay. Our goal is just to tell tell people about Jesus. We want to reach them. And so we want to make a difference. They say to start a movement, if you're going to start any kind of movement, it takes 10%. Now, if you take our population in the Bay Area of 7.8 million and you get 10% of that, all of a sudden you can see we got to work cut out for us. All those people wouldn't fit in one building anyway. So we've got to start multiple churches. We've got to have multiple pastors. We've got to have multiple ministries if we're ever going to at least get the 10% of the Bay Area. So we're looking at a job and not only one person can do it. It's going to take everybody working together. So when I bring up the question, you have a part, when are you going to start? That's the thought today. You have a part of this story, what God is trying to do here. We can grow incrementally or we can grow rapidly. I want to see more people baptized. I want to see more lives transformed. I want to see more people helped because I believe marriages are helped when they get in the church. I believe that parenting gets better when you have people helping you. I believe that raising teenagers gets a little bit easier when you're around people that have raised teenagers. I believe that there are things in the church that they can help you with leadership. They can help you with how to be a good citizen, how to be a good friend, how to be a good business owner. And so we see that if we will follow and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to serve. 
But I want you to go back to verse number one. It says there was increase, and we see that as a good thing, but it wasn't because increase brings inconvenience. In your life and in mine, increase brings inconvenience. Are you married to a woman who's been pregnant or is your wife pregnant or have you been with somebody that they were pregnant? Increase brings inconvenience. Now, all the dudes are like, what are you talking about? It wasn't inconvenient for me. I mean, I was, I had fun being a part of the process. It was great, you know, and uh, uh, it was, it, it just, the increase brings an inconvenience. And so sometimes we love the fact that there's increase and we celebrate it. But guess what? When your business grows, so do your problems. You got more employees, more employees. You know what that means? They want more days off that you've now got to cover. You, your family's growing. All of a sudden you need to add bedrooms. You, your, your income is growing. All of a sudden, uncle Sam finds out real quick. I don't know how he does it, but he figures it out before you figure it out. He's like, Oh, yep. This is, you made this much more. I get to take this much more increase brings inconvenience. It happens in the church too. Increase brings inconvenience. It means this. You may not always get your favorite seat. You may not always make it into a service. You may not always be able to attend everything that you want to attend. It may be that you find yourself serving sometimes. It may be that you find yourself needed in a ministry team or showing up during the week to be a part of something or be out, asked to go on an outreach event or on a mission trip. Because why? The increase brings an inconvenience. And what happens many Many times we don't realize that. So we'll jump into something, not realizing there's going to be inconvenience. And all of a sudden we want to quit. We want to walk away. It happens in the first couple years of marriage or dating. You get into a relationship. All of a sudden it's fun. It's great. But then the increase brings an inconvenience. You're like, mm, mm-mm, no, 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 Kiki. I'm out. Uh-uh. No, no. Peace. You know, and you're wanting to back out of the relationship instead of staying with it. Why? Because the increase brings an inconvenience. But you and I need to change our perspective on it. And we need to see it like Stephen saw it. You say, what do you mean? We're meaning a character by the name of Stephen. And Stephen gets recruited. Now, history doesn't tell us a lot about this character of Stephen. But scholars believe he was either part of the uh, uh, Pharisee or he was a teacher of the law. And so they recruited this person, Stephen. He believes in Jesus Christ rising from the dead as the only way of salvation. And he converts to follow Christianity. And so Stephen is recruited. You say, recruited do do what? Did they look at Stephen, sit him down and say, hey, with your expertise, with your background, with your leadership, you know what? We've got a job for you in this early budding church. Last Sunday, we baptized 3,000 and guess what? It happened again this Sunday and so our church just keeps doubling the size so we need some real leadership. We need to manage this thing. We need to stay on top of this thing. We need to get a creative director. We need to get an outreach director and we need a women's director and a men's director, a kids director and we need a director for the directors and so we got to have all these different things and Stephen, you're our guy. Is that what they did? No. They said, we got a need, Stephen. And your name came to the top of the list. And Stephen walked in and he said, I have a long, glowing resume. I wonder what they're going to ask me to do. And they said, Stephen, we have a soup kitchen ministry. And guess what? We don't need you to be in charge of it. We just need you to work in it. And some of us, that's where we have a problem with church too. Because you have this glowing resume at your last church or some other church or maybe you're new to church and you feel like man I could do this and I should be doing this but then somebody asks you hey can you help me on the nursery we've got moms who have newborns and man they're up all night they're with them all week and they bring them to the service can we just give them 
45 minutes apiece so they can engage with God in a service. And if you'll help me, you're going to allow that young mom to get an hour apiece where she can engage and have her soul fed and be encouraged and be around other moms. And you can keep her from stressing out. And will you help me? And instead, instead of getting a little inferiority complex, you're getting like, no, 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 I should be doing something else. Stephen said, I'll do it. I'll do it. And he follows through, even though it's inconvenient. And some of you, you volunteer on a time, on a, on a ministry and it takes up your time and it's inconvenient for you. And some of you, you show up on a Friday or you show up on a Saturday and clean or you show up on a Sunday morning, you set outside and you get the PA system and everything running and the lights and sound or you help build this thing and get it all ready. And so you've donated your time and it, it was inconvenient. I'm not discrediting that. It takes Time and effort. Someone told me a long time ago, they said, Proverbs 14.4, where no oxen are, the manger is clean. You say, what is that? I worked on a ranch in Tennessee, and we didn't have ox or cattle, but we had a whole lot of horses. And horses and cows have something in common. They eat a lot, and then they make a lot of a mess. And it smells, and it's yucky, it's nasty, and it takes hours to shovel that stuff out of their stall. And the moment you shovel it out, guess what? It comes back. You turn around, it's back. And you get more and more and more. But here's the thing. It says, but without a strong ox, you will not reap a big harvest. You see, when I heard that, they also said NM and M. No mess, no ministry. You see, we always want the increase. God, pour out the increase. God, do something great. God, do something big. And God says, do you know what that means? Do you know what it means to have more kids? It means more diapers. Do you know what it means to be a, get promoted at your job? It means you have more responsibility. It means you're going to give up maybe a weekend. It means you're going to be staying up a little bit later. It means you're going to be doing a little bit more. There's going to be some inconvenience here. So when it comes to ministry, we need to understand that with there is no mess, there is no ministry. Increase brings the inconvenience. But here's the second point, and this is what's so powerful. The increases in the inconvenience is actually an invitation. You see, Stephen was invited into something big. What we get to be invited into is awesome. This isn't my idea. I know that this church started on January 26, 2014, and there was a total of about 56 people that showed up in the Oak Ridge Mall movie theater that first Sunday, and man, it was just like crickets in there. And we started, and I was wondering if anybody come back, and I did such a good job. 37 people came back the next week, and it was just kind of like, wow, man, really boosted my self-esteem, but God's been faithful and God's been doing things. But that's where it starts, and that was the beginning. But guess what? The inconvenience is an invitation. Stephen was invited into something. Yes, somebody, a role leader may come to you and talk to you and say, hey, can you join my team as a greeter? Can you join my team as an usher? Can you join my team on the band? Can you join my team in a small group? Can you join my team? And you may think, mm, that's beneath me. That's below me. So did Stephen. But guess what? He did it anyway. He said yes. He said yes. And because he said yes, you're going to see God use his story in a greater way than he ever thought possible. And it's incredible when you and I say yes to God, the things that he does, the things that he has in store for us are far beyond what we could possibly imagine. Years ago, I worked at another ministry. I've lived in the Bay Area since 2007. I worked at another church and that church, we did what we kind of called like inner city ministry. It's kind of weird. We would take uh, kids that they were, they never could afford to go to camp, but we'd pick them up at a bus and we'd take them camping. 
We take them just real close, Thousand Trails. Anybody ever heard of Thousand Trails in Morgan Hill? That's where we take them camping. And uh, these kids have never seen a tent before. They've never seen a sleeping bag. And so we'd load them up. We'd take three buses out there. And these kids would come. They would show up on that Wednesday. And we would take them for a couple days of camping. And they didn't know what to bring. So all of them would show up with like a pillowcase. You say, the pillowcase? Yeah, and they stuck their clothes in it. Now, if you've got a third grade boy, I don't know why he's bringing clothes. He ain't going to change. Like, I don't know why you're wasting perfectly good clothes. He could have left those at home. He wore the same clothes day one, day two, and day three. I'm like, Mom, you could put those right back away, all right? Just hose him off in the yard. He'll be fine, and uh, you can send him in the house, okay? So that's just how it is with third grade boys. And so we'd take all these kids, take them camping, and we would do uh, devotionals with them. We would talk to them about life. They got to... uh, be outdoors. They never slept outdoors before. Well, that began to grow, began to grow, began to grow, did it year after year. And finally, Thousand Trails said, you have too many kids running around here. And we're like, oh, sorry. It was just cheap. Somebody had a membership, so we really didn't even have to pay. So you would have a couple hundred kids running around Thousand Trails. And if you've been to Thousand Trails, you're not technically allowed to have hundreds of kids running around Thousand Trails, all right? Especially if you park your RV there. It's more of like a resort kind of place. And so we decided we're going to start a camp. So we rented a campground in Fraser Park. Fraser Park's in the middle of the uh, five on the way to LA. And so it was five hours away. My brother was supposed to run the camp for me. He was supposed to do all the work. But a week before I called up my brother, I love my brother. And I said, Hey, how much have you done? And he said, nothing. I said, next week we have hundreds of kids supposed to go to camp. What are we going to eat? He's like, there's a McDonald's. I was like, no, we got hundreds of kids. We can't be in a McDonald's. He's like, well, I bought this snack shack food. I was like, so great. We're going to sell them snicker bars and corn nuts. All right. I was like, they'll love it. Parents will hate it. We can't do that. So I'm having to plan camp. You say, when did I get the notice? I was going to have to plan camp. It was a good thing. My schedule was clear. Oh, wait, it wasn't. I was sitting in Kaiser, Santa Teresa hospital. My beautiful wife is giving birth to our firstborn. Our firstborn is Megan. Here's the thing about Megan. Megan is not exactly a small child. I don't know who her real father is because she was born 10 pounds. I don't look like I produce a 10 pound baby. And uh, so I'm standing there, sitting there and she's giving birth. And man, I'm on my laptop, like typing away. And I'm like, Shh, can you keep it down? I'm trying to work. A little busy, a little busy. Man, so rude. And I'm just trying to work. And she's getting madder and madder. I was like, good, use that. Push the baby out. Uh, out, out, you know. And it is, she's just like, come on, use that energy and everything. She's getting more frustrated and more frustrated. And then the baby just wouldn't come out. Ten-pound baby wouldn't come out. Have you seen my wife? Real petite. There's no way that baby was coming out. Man, we were in labor for 18... 18- I say we. <laughs> I did nothing. I sat there. I sat there. They were giving the epidural shot, and I said, whoa, I got to sit down. The nurses looked at me like, you okay? I kid you not, they were fanning me because I was going to pass out looking at the epidural that she was about to get. So it's just like I don't do the whole the needles thing and all that. And so, you know, she's having our baby and everything. We had to have a C-section. Once again, we. I did nothing. And uh, uh, she, she, we had the baby. The baby comes out, and now she's recovering from having a c-section and guess what i had to do hey i gotta go to camp with a couple hundred teenagers bye bye i'm sorry i can't be there you wives know that's bad right that's bad it gets worse or better depending on your point of view and uh i make it to fraser park but we're on top of the mountain there's no cell phone coverage anywhere on that mountain so i'm a my my wife just given birth she had a C-section, not just a normal birth. She gave a C-section. The, the recovery time is way longer from that. Now I'm up on a mountain with a couple hundred kids trying to do camp, and I'm thinking to myself, God, this is pointless. What am I doing here? I don't want to be here. 
yeah, I'm great. This is good that there's somebody preaching to these teens and these kids. We had like 240 teens show up, and then I had a couple hundred uh, junior, high, junior kids, like elementary age, and I'm just thinking everybody else is excited, making decisions, bonfire, God's doing stuff, and I'm just like, what am I doing here? I can't even call home to check on her. And I'm thinking, God, this is the most inconvenient thing. God, your timing really stinks. And I know it's not right to say that kind of stuff, but it's how I felt. I just felt like, God, are you serious? Did you really call me to the most inconvenient time of my life? This is not helping my marriage. You know, God, you know I got to go back to this. Where she, I, it's not like I just stay on the mountain. If I could just stay on the mountain, maybe it'd be okay. But I got to go back in a week, and she ain't going to be happy. That's going to be the hard part is going back. All the teens are like, I'm on fire for God. I'm like, I'm about to get fired. That's what's about to happen. I'm about to get axed. My job is over. Worst husband of the year. Man, I think about that story, and I always wonder. We made it through. She stayed with me barely. And um, last year, I was just like, God, I don't know if anything ever really happened. We didn't keep the camp going. We did it for like another year or two. I just didn't have the margin for it. And we always stopped back, and, and we were just, we'll drive toward L.A. We'll pass Fraser Park, and we'll just kind of like, you know, shrug our shoulders. Little shoulder shrug. God, what, what was all that? Then a year ago, I got a phone call from somebody that came to that camp. He was a junior in high school. He was just graduating college. And he said, you know, I've always, since that day, that was the day I gave my life to the Lord. I knew that day I was going to serve the Lord with my life. He said, I just knew I wanted to go and train and prepare. And he went to what we would call Bible college. It's a vocational college to go into ministry. And he said, hey, I want to come work at Southridge, but uh, I'm, I'll do it for free. Because I just believe I've got a calling on my life. I just believe God's called me there. And I said, if you'll work for free, excellent, come on down. That's, that's about, free 99 is about what we can afford. So John Bourgeois, a year ago, he came and joined our team. I never thought out of that camp that we would see God use that in such a way. But then it doesn't stop there because last week you may have seen somebody taking pictures and putting new video and new media and doing some work for us. And uh, that person, his name is Eric. Now, Eric was a 14-year-old at that exact same camp. And it was at that camp he started to fall in love with videography and photography. And it was there that it lit a passion for him. Eric's traveled the world. He's made uh, documentaries in India. He's made documentaries for churches. And he's, he's, he's just, he does so much with videography and photography and he came to our church last weekend and I talked to him afterward and I said man where did, what, what happened when did, when did God get a hold of your heart he's like you're never going to believe it I went to this camp it's called Camp Calvary it's middle of nowhere food was terrible and uh, I was 14 but God called me there and he said hey there's something about Southridge that I just want to be a part of one day I was like that was the most inconvenient time in my personal life but God was using the inconvenience as an invitation to a greater life. And some of you feel like right now, pastor, I get it, but it's not convenient. And it never will be. Your life will never get slower than it is right now. Your life is never going to be easier right, than right now. And I know you're saying, I don't have the margin. I don't have the time. But I believe God is calling a Stephen in this room. I believe God is raising up not just one Stephen, not just two Stephens, dozens and dozens of Stephens here that God is raising up. People that say, hey, where do you need me? I will say yes. Where do you need me? I will sign up. I will be a part of the mission. I will be a part of the vision because I believe what God is doing. We're reminded, I'm reminded so often from a church member in our church and he says, hey, pastor, many times you're looking at the apple and you're trying to count how many seeds are in the apple and you can do that. But as you keep giving, as you keep serving, remember, 
remember, you can count the seeds in an apple, but pastor, you can never count how many apples are in a seed. So keep sowing seeds. So keep planting seeds. And this morning, you may not realize it, but your life is a seed and you don't know how much potential is in your life. How many apples God can produce through you? How many people will come through your life? If you will say, God, I'm going to get planted. I'm going to get involved. It may be inconvenient, but God is calling you to a greater invitation. And that invitation is going to lead you to greater influence. So save, serving is not an imposition on your calendar. It's the invitation to your calling. So as we now are going through I Love My Church Sunday, you will find on your way out sign-up sheets. And we would love it for you to take some time and say, I can volunteer. I can be a part of a team. I can give an hour or two. And I know it's going to be inconvenient. I know you'd want to put more time into your marriage, more time into your dating, more time into your job, more time into your children, more time into your family. And it sometimes feels bad asking for time. But here's what I know God's going to do. God's going to use you in a greater way. And he won't use me the same way that he'll use you. God is going to use you in a specific way. I heard a powerful story today of somebody who served for the very first time. And because they served, God opened up a door for somebody else now to be in church because they said yes to God. What God was calling them, it opened up doors where more people are being influenced because of their obedience. Stephen simply said, I'll be obedient. And God began to take that. You see, what happens if we have the attitude that says, God, I'm waiting for a better position, a bigger position, a position of affluence, then guess what we may miss out but Stephen said I'll start with that here's what we say at Southridge if serving is beneath you then leadership will always be beyond you and that's true not only of the church but it's also true of your business if you're the boss or you're the manager or you're the director that never will serve his employees or your subordinates or her employees, guess what? You will find that you will lose your influence. You will find that people will not follow. That is true of marriage. Serve your spouse, serve your children, and you will find that if serving is beneath you, then that leadership, that influence will always be beyond you. And what you're always striving for, what you're always trying to attain, you'll find that it's never within your grasp. So Stephen said, you know what? Serving's not beneath me. Serving's not beneath me. And get this, as if it's like pouring salt in the wound. They were like, okay, recruit these guys, but then we want to make sure these people are full of the Holy Spirit, that they have a good reputation. Our church has a good reputation in this neighborhood. I believe that if we're going to start a movement in this area, it's going to start with reaching the 10%, and we can't just do it with one church. We can't just do it with two churches. We can't just do it with three. We're going to have to keep planting churches and sending pastors and sending couples who will say, I'll go start a church. I'll go reach that area. I'll go reach that part. 95123, our own zip code is the fastest and largest growing zip code in San Jose. It's over 100,000 people. It's nine square miles. Don't you think we could use another 10 to 25 churches in nine square miles to reach 100,000 people? So we need to see this area reach for Christ. And it's our responsibility. I'm not waiting for somebody else when I've got the call. I know it's inconvenient, but I see the inconvenience as an invitation to a greater life because God's gonna say with that, you get more influence. So as we continue to serve, you will find that you have greater influence. You will find that even people will stop and they will recognize that that church is making a difference. Stephen was somebody that had a reputation and God used him in a great way. Notice if you would, turn your attention to verse number eight. The Bible says, after he had been following, after he had been serving, it says, and Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performing amazing miracles and signs among the people. Now between verse seven and verse eight, there's amount of time. We don't know how much time, but it's to say this, Stephen did not stay in the soup kitchen. Because if you are a star, you will shine wherever you're at. 
And some of you feel like, man, I've just been thrown in the nursery. Guess what? You're going to find yourself a nursery director real quick. And before long, you'll find yourself, you're going to be a ministry director, a role leader. You're going to find that you're going to start leading leaders. You see the cream rises to the top, as the old adage says. Don't think that, oh, I'm just going to get stuck in there. Nobody's going to notice me. Oh, no, no, no. We see it. We see what God is doing. More importantly, God sees it. And all of a sudden, Stephen's position was elevated. And now he's preaching and he's leading. And then the Sanhedrin, they rise up because he has so much influence. The Sanhedrin is now afraid of Stephen. And so they get Stephen into the Sanhedrin. And now they're going to question him. And they want to debate him. And they want to shut Stephen down. One man in that same debating hall, his name was Saul of Tarsus. Saul was a wise person. He sat under the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most gifted and smartest theologians of that day and he sat there and they were astounded at the wisdom of Stephen God gave Stephen such influence he was influencing the influencers you see we're in the Silicon Valley we get to influence the influencers and if we will say God I will let you use me God will you see God is not looking for awesome and amazing he's looking for available if you're simply here saying God I'm not much but what I've got is yours then God says that's what I want I want to use a teenager I want to use a high schooler, a college student, a single mom, a a dad who's working two jobs. I want to work somebody who may be a college dropout. I don't care who you are. I want to use you to impact lives and see people's lives forever changed. If you go to Walt Disney World, you're going to meet a security guard. I want to put his picture right here. He's just a security guard and he could be like any other security guard. Hey, just checking your bag, checking your bag, checking your bag. But this security guard has a personal mission. You say, what's his personal mission? Every time he sees a little girl in a princess outfit, he gets down and he says, princess, would you sign my autograph book? And that's the picture of him doing it. The grandmother who took the picture, the picture's gone viral. She says, you can look in the book and there's name after name after name of princess after princess that all of a sudden they feel like, wow, that adult thought I'm a real princess. You see, it's, it's, it's Disney World where people will go that have, uh, uh, maybe they, they, it's the Make-A-Wish will send them there. So you'll get girls where they've lost all their hair to cancer and all of a sudden he makes them feel like a princess. He gives them that smile. He gives them that hug. He puts that value. What if people came into church and you made them feel that way? Maybe you gave a boy a high five who hasn't eaten in a while, who's feeling lonely and discouraged. Or maybe there's a single mom who's barely hanging on, who's barely making it, who everybody else is judging why she's not giving her kids nice clothes and gluten-free, fat-free, and why she feeds at McDonald's, and everybody's judging her. And you say, Mom, your kids are alive, and you're alive. Good job, Mom. Good job, Mom. They're alive, and you're alive. Good job. And you're there to encourage her, to reset the standard. Or maybe somebody comes in, and they've been bullied all week, and they're a teenager, and they're thinking about committing suicide, and you come in, and you say, you have value, you have significance, and God sees you, and I see you. Your life has so much more than what you think it has. Don't give up now. Don't let those haters get you down. Guess what? Everybody's had haters. And just remember, you've never had a hater that was doing better than you. That's why they're a hater. They're hating because you have something that they're jealous of. And so when those people come into our church, we need an usher. We need a greeter. We need a Sunday school worker. We need somebody to say, you know what? You belong here. We want you here. And that's what we can create if we do it together. Because when we're all in, we all win. When we're all in, we all win. Touch your neighbor. Say, when we're all in, we all win. When we're all in, we all win. Nobody gets shorted. Nobody gets stiffed. Everybody gets served. Everybody gets loved. But here's the thing. Stephen paid the ultimate sacrifice. At the end of chapter 7, verse number 58, the Bible says they stoned Stephen and he died. And you would say, what a waste, God. 
See, God, I knew it. Those rich kids are going to stone me if I go teach over there. I'm going to get stoned. And I'm not talking kind of stoned. I'm talking about stoned with rocks. I mean, those kids, they're going to murder me. I'm not going to do that. But here's the thing. Stephen did die. But they said, as they looked at Stephen, they said they saw the face of an angel. And I looked up, what does that mean, the face of an angel? I mean, that's a good pickup line, guys. Single, that's a good pickup line. You got the face of an angel. Biblical hookup lines. But when he looked, and guess what? Saul was there. And the Bible says that Saul held the coats as everybody stoned Stephen. But Stephen's last words were the same words that Jesus gave. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The Bible says he died. That so impacted the life of Saul that two chapters later, Saul gives his life. And Saul does far more than Stephen ever possibly imagined. But it was the life of Stephen that influenced the Saul. Yes, you may be the teacher over there. I've told you about the teacher that I went to, a small country church. Her name was Barbara Church. She's from the Bay Area. I was like, what a fitting last name. Your last name is Church and you go to church. You have to go to church. Your last name is Church. You can't have a last name at church and say, where do you go to church? I don't go to church. But your last name is Church. It's confusing. Anyway, that's not part of the story. So we went to this small church. My dad was the pastor and I would come in and she had three students every Sunday, just three kids. But she always had a lesson ready. She always had a craft ready. And she always had the best little parties for us three students. And man, this is the days of sticker charts. Man, give me a sticker chart. I will memorize verses like you have no idea. Just give me a sticker chart. That'll motivate me. Man, she would have our sticker charts. And even though every week she only had three kids, you would have thought she had 300 kids. Every Sunday she gave it everything she had. I'm here because of her. Because for years... She said, I'll teach that class. You do not know who you're going to influence because you sign up on a sheet today and their life may be forever changed because you said, I'll take the time. Yeah, it's inconvenient. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you it's going to be inconvenient. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to frustrate you. Your role leader is going to frustrate you. People are going to frustrate you, but it's an invitation to make a difference. Do you think there were some Sundays where she's like same three kids and one of them's a pastor's kid, like, heaven help me she didn't give up and I know sometimes we can come into a church and feel like oh we got a building now everything's all good I want to let you know the tendency of churches when they get a building is more people to stop serving than to start serving did you know that and this is not a guilt trip so hear me this is not a guilt trip but some of you have stopped serving because we've gotten to the building and I want to let you know we need you more now more than ever you say why because there's more people coming now than ever before. This morning, I walked into the men's restroom. Water everywhere. Toilet paper everywhere. I don't know what happened in the night. Walked through the facility. Just things just happened. Somebody needs to clean it up. Somebody needs to do it. I don't mind doing it. But you know what? I want to make sure a guest doesn't see that. I want to make sure that things are ready. I want to make sure when somebody comes in and they're discouraged and they're depressed, they can come in and all of a sudden their life can be transformed. We're going to do the very best we can each and every Sunday. Our worship team is going to do the best they can. Our sound and visual, our nursery, our rich kids, everybody's doing so much. But we would love your help. One hour, two hours, would you say yes? And who knows, God may use you like a Stephen. If you will simply say yes.
Can we all stand as we close? God, we need you. God, you're calling us to greater influence. You're calling us to use our life in a bigger and bolder way. And Father, help us not to miss the moment. Help us to realize that you are using the inconvenient things to call us to greater things. So Father, I pray that my words were not a guilt trip to people, but it would be a call to a greater life, a life of significance, where they see that what we're about to do here is going to have reverberations throughout the Bay Area. That we have to reach the 10%. That we've got to start this movement. The Holy Spirit wants to do it. You want to do it. You want to change lives. But it's not going to take just one church or a dozen churches. It's going to take hundreds and thousands of churches. And Father, I pray that you would begin it right here. That we would sow into this house. That we would see that what we're a part of is bigger than the part that we play. But I have a part. The question is, when will I start? So Father, I pray that we would have surrendered hearts this morning. Help us to yield to your spirit. May there be some more Stevens in the house. May there be some more barber churches in the house that'll give their lives to some kids that may not even say thank you, but that'll show up each and every Sunday and they're going to be faithful. And one year, two years will go by and they're still faithful. Father, help us. We pray this in Jesus' name.